Let's go to our scripture reading from Luke chapter 17 this morning. Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 11. It's a slightly longer passage, so I will simply read it as you can follow along. And while Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, were there not 10 cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, stand up and go, your faith has made you well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, that is the testimony of all of our lives that our faith has saved us. If we are yours, then we must be yours by faith alone. And it's because of that that the Christian, more than anyone else, has reason to give you thanks. Lord, we are the only ones who whose thanksgiving you accept, and not in a prideful way, but because only your grace has saved us. We recognize the depth of our depravity. We recognize our proneness to wander away from you, and yet you are so patient to us. Lord, we recognize that apart from you, we are nothing. And yet because of you, you have shared everything with us. You have given your only begotten son to die on the cross for our sins. And as if that were not enough, you shower us with blessings and with, with so many ways in which you give us joy, the fruit of the spirit, the, the friendships that we have, the love we have for one another. Lord, you are so good to us, even providing us with material blessing providing us with peace and safety. Even this morning, we can gather here without, without fear of, of persecution. Not all of our brothers and sisters in the world can say that. And so, Father, we do not take that for granted. Lord, I'm thankful to be living in a state where they have not clamped down on us and we're not suffering the same repercussions for being obedient to you as others in our nation are. Lord, you bring us out of disease, you bring us out of sicknesses, and even when you don't, you save us, you save our souls, and you give us the sure and blessed promise that one day we will rise again in the newness of life to live eternity with you in heaven. And so, Father, this morning as we look at this um, Thing that happened in the life of your son as he was here. May we learn from it. May we see ourselves in it. And Father, most of all, may we 
glorify you through our thanksgiving this week. It is in your name we pray, amen. I'm gonna be kind of honest with you. I was uh, kind of rocking and rolling along and uh, getting ready to preach on the, begin preaching on the fruit of the spirit this week and was having a little trouble with it and how I, you know, should I take each one and, and give an individual sermon on each one or should I try to get them all into one sermon like I did last week, which ended up being a little longer than usual. So trying to decide what to do. And then it hit me. I was like, oh, this is Thanksgiving. <laughs> so Thanksgiving kind of snuck up on me this week. I don't know if it has you or not. It, uh, I think just about everything this year has snuck up on me, just so out of our routine and, and things like that. But even in this year with everything we go on, we, we have so much to be thankful for, uh, so much to thank the Lord for. And even, in, uh, even yesterday as we um, said farewell to Miss Shelba. We emphasize that, that we are still thankful, thankful for the memories, thankful for the promise, and thankful for the assurance that she was a dear child of God by faith alone, and that she was in the presence of our Lord. And so even in the, even in the most times of despair that we are all facing right now, uh, we, we can still be thankful. And the question is, where does that thankfulness come from? How can we have a source of thankfulness that is still thankful even when it seems like our world is falling apart? Even when it seems like things are going so wrong and things are just, uh, just being destroyed around us. And so uh, I went back to this text this week in Luke chapter 17 because I've always been impressed with this story. This story has always impressed some things on me. Uh, I have shared this text with you before, so if you make notes in your Bible, like uh, some people do, won't mention any names for her initials or Bobby Cutshaw, you will, uh, you will probably recognize this. So, uh, so see, she's not really missing anything today, brother. So uh, just have her go back to the text and she'll have her notes in her Bible there. So, but, uh, but anyway, I just thought it was pertinent to share these principles with you again from Luke chapter 17. Uh, as, as many of you know, Luke, this section of Luke is, is really uh, structured as kind of a travel diary, if you would, beginning in, in Luke chapter 9, verse 52. Um, you may remember that Jesus begins heading to Jerusalem. And, uh, and the wording that's specifically said there is that he is, he is going to his ascension. He is going to his glorification. And of course, we know that in order to get there, he has to go through the suffering. He has to go through the passion. He has to go through the cross. And so many of his disciples, they wanted the glory, they wanted the ease, they wanted the kingdom, but they did not want the cross. And, and we can understand that, can't we? I mean, we don't enjoy suffering. We don't enjoy going through difficult times. And, and the disciples were no different than us. They were human, just like we are. They wanted the easy path. Uh, Jesus was tempted by Satan in uh, Luke chapter four and Matthew chapter four to take the easy path. And yet, um, and yet he did not and we do not either. And so this entire section of Luke, from Luke 9.52 all the way up to uh, his arrival in Jerusalem is, is much like a travel diary. We estimate that it took him about six months or so to get there. 
And in all this way, we find out that even in his going to the cross, even in his going to provide ultimate redemption for us, he is still doing ministry. He is still preaching. He is still telling parables. Some of the greatest parables are in Luke in this section. And he is still healing. And as he is continuing to make his way, uh, we see that introduced in verse 11. While Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. Now, between Samaria and Galilee, if you have your Bible maps in the back of your Bible, you're wondering, well, wait a minute, what's between Samaria and Galilee? Well, that's basically a way of saying that the Jews did not actually typically pass through Samaria. What they would do is they would, they would cross the Jordan River and pass through in a section of Israel called Perea. And as they were going down, when they would get to about uh, Jericho, I think it is, when they would get to about Jericho, they would cross back over and then go into Jerusalem that way. So this is basically Luke's way of continuing the travel, continuing the, the, uh, the narrative, but also telling us is that this is happening in the area of Perea. And it shows us that Jesus, even though it's not emphasized in the Gospels, Jesus also had ministry in this area as well. And so he impacted all of Israel. He, his feet uh, stepped foot in every major division of the land and everybody got to meet their Messiah. And so he's passing through Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into this village, he comes across these 10 leprous people, 10 lepers. And as he entered the village, 10 leprous men stood at a distance and they met him. More than likely, the, the, the text really doesn't tell us anything about these guys. Um, they, they interrupted his travel, which was, which was very common. Doesn't tell us anything except for the fact that they, were, they seemed to have been living together, uh, probably supporting one another. We're not told hardly anything about them except there's, and, and Luke is the only one who tells us about the story. And so we literally know nothing about these guys. And yet through them, Luke is going to show us something that I think is very important for us to remember in this time of Thanksgiving. It's very important for us to go back and ask ourselves, where does true biblical Thanksgiving come from? Now, I'm going to tell you this morning that I don't have a PowerPoint, so I just wanted you to be able to, to just, just kind of sit back and be ministered to this morning. If you take notes, it might be a little more difficult, so I do apologize for that. But let's just look at the story step by step and look at the, very, the various things that happen here. And beginning in, in verse 12, we find that as he enters the village, these lepers, they, they raise their voices to him in 13 and say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. I want you to notice, first of all, that, that the healing itself that takes place, that, that as he's walking into this village, these, these 10 lepers are standing at a distance. And Luke is very clear to point that out. I, I believe that probably comes from his medical background. And he knows that someone, a leper colony such as this, even a small one knows that they are not to get anywhere near anyone. They must stand at a distance. They were, if, if you contracted leprosy during this time, 
Uh, you can read about this in Numbers chapter 13, Numbers chapter 14. If you contracted leprosy, then there were things that you had to do. You, you were cast out of society. You were cast out of the synagogue. You were, you were basically quarantined. We really love that word today, don't we? So we were, we were basically, they were basically quarantined and they had to stay away and they really had to stay away from each other as well, but they didn't do that. And no one really cared enough to, to go out there and tell them any difference. So what would happen was, is they, they would kind of gather in groups just to survive as long as they could. And this is where the phrase leper colony comes from. And so they would gather in these little colonies and, and apparently there was one that was living just outside these village. Most of them would kind of get as close as they could to a village without actually going in, without actually running the danger of running into somebody. And, and they would cry out for, uh, for mercy, for money, for alms, if you will, or, or things like that. Just anything they could do to try to survive just another day. It was, it was a miserable life. It was absolutely miserable way to live. At least in our quarantines, we get to live in our homes. We get to have air conditioning and we get to have uh, Netflix and, and some of you are still paying for cable and, and things like that. And so we get to have all of these conveniences. We get to have clean clothes. We, we have food on the table. We have uh, people who come and, and bring us things and we pay them and, and all that. Maybe some of you even have the privilege of being able to work from home and, and, and still earning an income while you're doing that. That is nothing like what these people experience. Absolutely nothing. It was literally living day to day, sometimes even hour by hour. Many of them would starve to death uh, and just die out in the road. It was a terrible way to live. And yet they see Jesus coming in. And I want you to just imagine this for a moment. Imagine who these people are. They have had no contact, no family, no friends other than maybe one another. They've had no hope. There were instructions in the Old Testament to, to what to do when leprosy was cured, but the truth of the matter is it had never happened. For most people, it was a false hope, not, not aside from miraculous things. So there really was no hope for these guys. They were alone, they were isolated, they were no human contact whatsoever. Even during COVID, uh, yesterday I was standing here uh, as, the, as the line came by and, and I know you're not supposed to shake hands, but someone walks up to you like this and, and holds their hand out, what do you do? You don't even think about it. You just, you know, shake their hands, right? Unless you're a leper. Unless you're a leper. Imagine that. Let someone, you try to go up and shake someone's hand and they're... And that's the closest human contact you ever get. You know, a lot of us take that for granted. But it's, but it's terrible. The isolation is horrible. They had no hope. And now Jesus walks by them and they see him. They hear the rumors. They know who he is. He has a crowd following them. And, and there's a glimmer of hope. You can imagine how loud they must have yelled, Lord, Jesus, notice me. Look my direction. Maybe they were singing, pass me not, O gentle Savior. I don't, I don't know. 
You can imagine just the desperation in their voice. Have mercy, screaming at the top of their lungs with all their energy, Lord, have mercy on me. And what does Jesus do? In verse 14, he saw them and he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. That's all he says. He doesn't say anything else, see? He doesn't tell them what he's going to do. He just commands them, go show yourself to the priest. Why does he do that? Because that was the law. That's what they were supposed to do. Go show yourself to the priest. And in verse 14, why the priest? Because there was an entire process. Leviticus chapter 14, if you're interested in reading it this afternoon, They had to be inspected. They had to offer sacrifice. The entire thing took weeks to accomplish. But it was there. And this is what Jesus told them to do. You know the law? Go do it. So that's what they did. And they obeyed. And at the end of verse 14, almost nonchalantly, almost like it was really not that big of a deal, Luke records, and as they were going, they were cleansed like it's no big deal. I mean, this was just kind of regular fare for Jesus, but, but for the lepers, this must have been something. Is, uh, you have to understand how enormous this is in their life. Leprosy was the most feared disease in the ancient world, and it was the worst part of Jewish culture. The isolation, having no contact, all of those things, it was literally a living death. They were slowly but surely wasting away every day of their lives until they finally died. They were just waiting, waiting to die. That's all they could do. Can you imagine the horror? Can you imagine what that's like? Just just sitting around waiting to die when you have no hope. The best thing you have to look forward to is a grave. And yet now Jesus comes along and they want nothing more than to be able to return to their old lives, return to their families, return to their homes. Boy, how many of us have said that this time of year? I just want things to go back to normal. By the way, some of that is good, but maybe not all of it. COVID has given us a chance to reassess things, to Decide what's important and what's not. Gives us an opportunity to rebuild some things. But we all understand that, that mentality, don't we? I mean, we've all had that mentality. I just want to get back to normal. I don't know about you guys, but when the day finally comes to where we don't have to wear our mask anywhere, I'm gonna be making such weird faces at everybody at first because I just do weird stuff when my mask is on and I don't know where in the world that came from, but I was walking through Walmart the other day and I, and, and I just realized that like for the past two minutes, I was walking down the aisle, just puckering my lips over and over and over again. I have no idea why I was doing that. And I'm so scared that when we finally don't have to wear our mask anymore, I'm just gonna be walking around doing that. I don't know, maybe you have that problem too, but I've just been doing weird stuff under my mask and I don't even know why. Am I the only freak in here? Okay, so 
He just wants everything. Well, you're my child. You don't count. So <laughs> it's in the DNA. So, um, <laughs> but they just want to go back to their old lives. They just want things to be back the way it was. And now this is what Jesus has given them. He's given them this incredible healing. They're able to go back to their life. I mean, this is the stuff that Hallmark movies are based on. I mean, get ready. It's Hallmark Christmas movie season. You know, we're going to be watching happy endings for the rest of the month. This is a happy ending. But there's something missing. And it's something that's about to be seen in the most unlikely of people. Unlikely of people. Look in verse 15. Now, one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, he stopped doing what he was doing and he turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, fell on his feet, giving thanks to him. I want you to notice the return of this one. What did he do as he's walking? And I imagine all of them are doing this. They're walking along and maybe they start to feel their bones getting stronger. They, they start to notice that their pace is getting a lot quicker and they're covered in leprous clothes, and, and they start to think that, you know, my, my, the sores on my hands are not, work, are not hurting anymore, and they start to unwrap their hand, and they look, and it's clean, and then they start to unwrap their other hand, and it's clean, and then they start to unwrap their face, and one of them looks over and says, George, your face looks okay. I don't know why his name was George, but anyway, your, your face looks okay, and, they un, and they're unwrapping, and they're, and they're looking at each other, and they're saying, we're clean, and now they're sprinting to the priest except for one. One of them thought to turn back. One of them started to turn around. And I think Luke's words are, are very careful here. Because the others knew they were cleansed. But look what he says in verse 15. Now one of them, when he saw... I think Luke's words are very carefully chosen because, you see, he specifically saw it. He didn't just see the cleansing of his physical skin. He saw something deeper. And he knew he couldn't go to the priest. He had to go back. He had to turn back. He ran back to Jesus and praises God with a loud voice. And notice before, he lifted up his voice before, but now he's got a, a loud voice. He falls on his face at the feet of Jesus and he thanks him. There's something different here. Why, why, why did this guy react so differently from the other nine? I think because Luke tells us in verse 16, at the end of the verse, he says, and he was a Samaritan. You see, I wonder that as he's traveling along with this troop, he's going along with the other nine, going to a Jewish priest in a Jewish synagogue with nine Jews and he is the one Samaritan. I wonder if maybe he's thinking the whole time, what am I gonna do? What am I gonna do? He had no way to offer a sacrifice. He was unclean just by virtue of who he was. He was a Samaritan. He couldn't enter into the synagogue. He couldn't be examined by a priest. No priest would get anywhere near him. 
He was unclean just simply for the fact of who he was. In fact, even if the priest declared him clean, which is likely what he, likely he would not have done that, he still would have no chance of being clean because he was a Samaritan. The other nine, once they were cleansed on the outside, they thought because they were Jews, they could just go back to obeying the law. They can go back to the way things were. They can go back to their old lives. And yet the Samaritan knew this would never be the case. That's what he saw. You see, what the Samaritan saw was that in this group of 10, of all of them that are there, the one person who has absolutely nothing to expect from the Jewish religion, the one person who has absolutely nothing to expect from the graciousness of our Lord whatsoever was him. He knew that he deserved absolutely nothing. The Jews thought that they were good with God simply because they were Jews. The Samaritan knew that he wasn't. And where the others saw physical healing, he saw more than that. He, what he saw was the amazing, gracious grace of our Lord Jesus that reached even to the most unlovable and even to the most unclean person of the group. Jesus had healed even him. And suddenly everything changed. There was no going back to his old life after this. There was no going back to normal. There was no going to the priest. There was no going to all that. Everything that he so desperately wanted when he first cried out to Jesus was suddenly not a priority anymore. His only priority now, suddenly he knew there was no going back to his old way of life. The number one priority in his life now has nothing to do with who he was. It's who he is now. And his number one priority is to return and give thanks to the Lord Jesus Christ and give him the glory for what has been done in his life. That is the only priority. The one who cured him the one who saved him, the one who brought him out of his shame and his uncleanness. There was no going back. Everything was different now. And it would never be the same again. I loved on the film, the, they, they didn't really give him a lot of screen time, but, but the Chicago gangbanger who... Um, who they, they showed him, he says, man, once you open that word of salvation, once you open that gospel and you hear it, you're never the same again. And it showed a picture of him with his old, with his old gang buddies. And I mean, he was so, co he was covered in tattoos and, and just, you know, looking all threatening and all that. But when he opened that gospel, when he opened that Bible and read it, everything changed. There was no going back to his old life. And beloved, when you come into contact with the gospel, you change. When you come back into contact with the gospel, all of a sudden, nothing is the same anymore. Now the number one thing, now the number one priority is the glory of God and giving him thanksgiving in all. And so that's what Jesus is gonna bring out. In verse 17, Jesus, his response Jesus answered him and said, were not 10 cleansed, but the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? 
You know, I can kind of understand maybe a little something of what Jesus feels here. When I worked at UALR, there was a lady that uh, ran into a difficult financial situation. So around the office, we decided to kind of take up a collection for her to help her out. And we, we, we raised quite a bit and we gave it to her as a Christmas present. About two weeks later, she was kind of going around again talking about her financial problems. And one of the ladies in the office said, uh, well, we, we, just, we just helped you out. Did, did that not help you? And she says, well, it did some, but, you know, you didn't pay for my cable bill. It was offensive. And we never, we never helped her again. It was, it was downright offensive. It's rude. So I can't help but to wonder if maybe that's something like what Jesus is kind of feeling here, just kind of put off, you know? response to the nine, weren't there 10 of you? Where's the other nine? And, and notice, especially the third question, was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Why? Because you see, all the others, all they wanted was healing from God. And that's all they got. They got it. They left. They continue on with their lives. And everything was normal. You know, and I have to say this, I think that's one of the problems with basing ministry on felt needs is because when the felt needs are met, that's it. They get what they wanted. They come to God to get their felt needs met and when they're met, okay, God, I'm done. Thank you. Go on and live a merry little life. I think that's one of the problems when a church tries to base our ministry on felt needs. By the way, Jesus met felt needs. I'm not saying it's wrong to meet felt needs, but to base our ministry on that, I think is dangerous. Because what we do is we create a, 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 a culture of consumerism that, that is just take, 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 and, and it's not give. People come to church, to, people come to church for, for, because they want God to give them what they want. And that's what we hear a lot in evangelicalism today. It, it, you know, every Sunday we must address the felt needs of people. Otherwise, they will not give us a hearing. The Bible refers to that as itching ears. The nine that came to Jesus with their needs, they asked for healing. They got it and left. All they wanted was healing from God. And yet this Samaritan, he found God in the healing he found salvation in the healing. And most modern translations don't capture this. He says in verse 19, he said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Made you well is actually the same Greek term as, as saved. Your faith has saved you. So, sozo, your faith has soteriost you. It has saved you. It has salvation to you. Your faith has given you life. Underline this. Because the others, they just wanted healing from God, but the Samaritan, he found God in the healing. And notice what he doesn't have to do. Notice what Jesus doesn't tell him to do now. Okay, now that you thank me, now go to the priest. Jesus doesn't say that. He says, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Go on. 
Go. Your faith has made you well. He doesn't need some human mediator to tell him he is clean. Now this Samaritan is cleaner than any priest would have declared him to be. He's cleaner than the priest. He doesn't need some priest to tell him he's clean. He's got the sovereign declaration of God who has told him your faith has saved you. That's all he needs. It's ironic because he's a foreigner. The very one who had a sign on the temple that said, keep out, (laughs) is the very one that has been accepted by God by grace. He is now the one who is at the feet of Jesus, worshiping him and thanking him. Jesus had a big sign on the front of the temple, foreigners keep out. Jesus said, come all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that's the mark of genuine faith. Worshiping and thanking Jesus for the incredible soul cleansing that he has brought about in our soul. In the deepest recessions of our hearts, we have been cleansed by Jesus Christ because we came to him by faith alone. I don't know why God saved me. I know he has a million reasons not to. But I do know this. I will worship him forever because he has. I will never tire of worshiping my God. I look forward to the day that I can worship him without the weakness of human flesh, without the hindrance of a sin nature, to worship him the way I was created to worship him. I look forward to that day, but until then, I'm gonna do the best I can. That's the mark of genuine saving faith. And it comes from recognizing that I'm a foreigner. It comes from recognizing that I'm the Samaritan. I'm the one who had nothing to expect, no reason to expect any good from God whatsoever. And even if, even if my body were perfect, I would still be unclean before God because I am a sinner. And yet God has graciously saved me through the blood and through the life and death and sacrifice of Jesus Christ, my Lord. I don't know why. I know why, because he loves me and he loves you. I don't know why he loves me, but I will worship him forever. And I will give him thanks, give him thanks from the depths of my soul. So I want you to imagine yourself in the story this morning. You're the one that Jesus has made clean. You're one of the lepers. You're one of the outcasts of God's kingdom. You're one of the ones that all you have is what you can socially create. And let me ask you, are you one of the nine? Or are you the Samaritan? Are you the one 
who has recognized the sovereign grace of our Lord Jesus Christ upon you? And are you the one that comes back to give him thanks? Are you thanking God this week because he has made much of you? Or are you thanking God this week to make much of him? That's the question. And I pray that every one of us are praising God and worshiping and has come here today to God be the glory, Christ our hope in life and death. How great is our God. I pray that every one of us sang those songs, not so that God will make much of us, but so that we will make much of him because he is the only one that is worthy. And he's the only one worthy of our thanksgiving. So which one are we? Are we the Samaritan? Or are we one of the nine? I pray that we'll be the Samaritan. That we will thank him, not just on Thursday of this week, but we will thank him every day of our lives. And we will worship him forever. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your savior, I would love to talk to you. Don't come here looking for God to heal Come here looking for the God who heals. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these wonderful truths. We thank you that so long ago, you not only through your son, Jesus Christ, provided healing and salvation to this Samaritan, but that you inspired Luke to record it for us and, and in doing so have given us these principles that we can look at this week and and discover how we can thank you more and live a life of thanksgiving. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who, like the nine, are, are worshiping and are trying to give thanks to you in order for you to make much of them, Lord, I pray you would change their hearts this morning. That we would be a people who makes much of you who gives you the glory, who gives you the honor and gives you the praise. No matter the world may be falling down around us, we know that you are worthy. Should you take away all things from our life, Lord, you are enough. And we will praise you even if we spend and are spent in our lives. We know that you are worthy of all of our worship, all of our praise, Glory be to God forever and ever and ever. Amen. Let's sing this wonderful prayer together. Let's stand up together and just sing through this simple chorus a couple of times. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. <laughs>